0: This is Galazzo Supremo Goal! The premier destination for soccer talk with Emmy Award winning play-by-play man Dan Dilley Word. and international soccer savant Rick Tittle work it, work it. Let's kick it off Well there it is Rick Welcome to it It's Golazo Supremo The most premier preeminent Predictable, quite frankly. Soccer podcast ever to strike the Bay Area. Dan Dibley and Rick Fiddle. Episode 1. Rick, it is great to be with you.
1: It's great, Dan. And also, Colasso Supremo. It doesn't matter how you say it. This is the one thing about the beautiful game, about soccer, about you and I. We love it so much. And let's face it. uh, Radio is not a philanthropic venture. It's about numbers, numbers, numbers. So you have to be talking about Lincecum's hair at all times. We can't talk about soccer. Maybe that's an older reference. But the fact is, is that you and I, two lifelong soccer fans, we get to sit down, have a conversation. The people listening right now, they love soccer. They don't have to worry about Niners, Warriors, and we love all those teams. But we're just going to talk soccer for a half hour. I'm excited. It's
0: incredible. And thank you, Guru, for the Guru reference. And I know you can talk all the teams. And at some point, I'd love for you to roll out your famous bit of all the teams that you actually (laughs) do talk about. But this is soccer only. And it's something that I've become incredibly passionate about over the past 25 years I know you've been a soccer fan for even longer than that, being just a shade bit older than me. But I, I thought we'd spend some time on the first episode, kind of introducing what the podcast is going to be about, the things that we are passionate about, and give the listeners an idea of, of what they can look for from Golasso Supremo,
1: well, or Supremo as uh, let's, some uh, may say. Yes, let's um, let's just do a little introductions. I mean, people probably know our names, yeah, um, but for me, it's it's my favorite sport. Um, not that I don't love the other sports, we do. If you asked me if I could watch one thing right now, I would watch a Tottenham Hotspur match. That's my team. It's been my team since the 80s. And watch until
0: the late fade <laughs> inevitably comes. Yeah. <laughs> 2-1 loss inexplicably, but Sometimes, go
1: Sometimes, yeah, they haven't won the league in my lifetime. We've had some cup runs, but it started for me, and I'll try to do this. I know it's only a half-hour podcast, but when I was five years old, the first time I went to Europe, And I was in Munich when I was 1970, and I got a a look at the Olympic stadium they were building for Munich 72 where uh, Bayern Munich had played. And I got a little Bayern Munich bracelet and a little thing, and I thought it was kind of cool. But you come back to the States, and it wasn't on TV. We weren't exposed to it. It wasn't really for me until 1982 in the World Cup when I watched every single match that was on TV. And, of course, they were all on Spanish-language television back then. That's when I got hooked in 82. And then becoming a fan of Tottenham with Hoddle and Waddle in the 80s and the great Italian 90 England team with Gascoigne and Lineker. And then that's when I basically devoted my life to studying and watching soccer every day. I had a shortwave radio. Wow. I had red toppers. I'd buy, there was no internet. I had to find out two days later who won. But to me, it's the most fascinating. These teams go back to uh, the Civil War era, a lot of them. Uh, And and the great thing is, Dibs, as long as I've been a fan, still to this day, I learn about new teams that have been around for over 100 years, and I find that heartwarming. There
0: are so many things that I love about soccer and the soccer world, and that's one of the things, is the old rivalries, also the idea of relegation and promotion, national tournaments, Champions League. We're going to cover all of that on Golazo Supremo. And my journey, really, to soccer kind of begins with the phrase Golazo Supremo, Back in more of the, I'd say the early 90s and toward the late 80s, I worked as a PE teacher over in Marin and Ross. And one of my co-teachers, a guy who I worked with in the after school, is named Jean-Marc Schaefer. Shout out the Frenchman Jean-Marc. Many people know him. He's worked as a PE teacher for three decades. He's the one who really kind of indoctrinated me into the beauty of the international game. And on this podcast, we'll talk MLS. We love the MLS. Maybe not quite as much as the international game at times, but... We're still devoted to the game, so we will discuss MLS. But my friend Jean-Marc and I, after school when the kids would get dismissed, we would play a game that we called Golazo Supremo, mm. which of course means supreme goal or great goal, loosely translated. We would take the high jump uh, mats, you know, from the giant pit where you teach high jump. We would set them up to the left and to the right of where the goalie would stand. Behind us, we would create a goal, and we would shoot on each other, diving onto the high jump mat. Inside the gym at Ross, and we called it Goloso Supremo. So, some days during the workday, I would say, "Hey, you know, what are you doing after school? You want to go for a little Goloso Supremo?" We would take five PKs each with an indoor soccer ball, and you could bend it from about twenty yards out. And we started using folding chairs as the wall. <laughs> it wasn't a truly tall wall, but maybe about three foot high, mm-hmm. and that was the game we played. So, for me, from that game, from that friendship, I immersed myself in what has now been a twenty five year passionate love affair with the game, primarily English Premier League, but also international fixtures, Champions League, and all that other stuff.
1: I think one of the points you made about promotion and relegation, winning and losing in soccer means more than any other sport. Any team, like the Raiders could go or the Niners could go 0-16. They still get a slice of the TV pie. They know everything's going to be fine. In soccer, if you lose and you get relegated, your best players don't want to play for you anymore. You're not on TV anymore. You can't build that new stand. You have to sell off players. Look at look at. You can go through the leagues all the way down through. You can even go non-league teams that were in the top division, the Division One before the Premier League started. Uh, Leeds was in the Champions League semi-final not that long ago. You can drop like a rock. Knott's Forest could never be relegated. Coventry City could never be relegated. They get relegated. And then if you win, the next year is where the payoff comes. Now you're playing under European lights. Now you're playing in cup competitions. Everyone wants to play for you. You're on TV. Winning and losing means more in soccer by far than in any other sport.
0: We're getting into the Jan- January transfer window. We'll hit that momentarily, and we'll run down the tables of the big four European leagues as well as get some thoughts here. Still two months out from the MLS season, but uh, we start to dip our toe in the water here at Golasso Supremo. For me, the promotion relegation is, is spectacular, but it's, it's the weekly fixtures, and it's the idea of no playoffs. The purity of the 38-game schedule... You've got 19 opponents, play them twice, and that's it. However you do, you do. If you're hot late and you squeak in the playoffs as a wild card team, you don't have a chance to run the table. That being said, the championship division in England, the way they have the tournament, top two get promoted, and then three, four, five, and six all battle it out for that final spot. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is one of the more underrated single elimination
1: events in the world. I'm glad they finally did that. That's a relatively new thing to have that playoff. And I think that is good. They play those games at Wembley. And you think about like how close Tranmere got three times, three years in a row. Then they went non-league. They had to come back uh, as well. Uh, For me, it's just a a case of when um, you you go around the entire planet and you find these teams. And that's what I like about playing um, in, in the European league. Like, I didn't know that the Cypriots had three teams, and you find out about Limassol, and you find out about wow. all these teams you never heard of I've before. I've
0: never heard of before, by yeah, the way. Yeah,
1: and you play them, and the, and it's so fun for the fans that they get to go to these games as well. So, yes, we'll get into all this, and plus, we will have people they can email in and bring up things to. We'll have participation at some point. We'll have guests in person. We'll have them on the phone Uh, It's all going to build, Dan.
0: Up in five minutes, I get your thoughts on the biggest American transfer fee in the history of American transfer fees, Christian Pulisic, which is fantastic news. But I want to go back to the World Cup. And I I think it was, what, 1994 when it was here? Yeah. Just a spectacular event, which for me at the time, you know, becoming an emerging soccer fan. And I remember actually before that, I guess it was – that would be yeah, ten years previous, the nineteen eighty four Olympic soccer final. I was at the Rose Bowl for that game as a sixteen year old. That was my my birthday present. My Very parents cool. cobbled together eight hundred and fifteen dollars, which was a lot of money at the I time. Know, a lot of money now. Marin Catholic. Uh, my tuition was two grand, so that was almost half a year of school for me <laughs> wow. at MC. But that was my big birthday present. We went to the Olympics, and I got to go to the soccer final, and that was another time where with all the pageantry, you know, 96,000 or whatever the number was yeah. at the Rose bowl. And you got the Brazilian fans and the French fans and the place is going crazy. It's hard to not have that infect you. But when it came here to the States, that was truly a chance to see just how passionate all these countries were. And, that was another way that I just fell in love with the game.
1: I, I, I worked that World Cup. I was working in TV at the time. I worked in the media center. I had to go through a year and a half of interviews and background checks. This is all pre 9 A year and a half? A year and a half. It was like every three months I'd go back down to San Jose and I would have these interviews and they would see if I was experienced or not and if I had a background in broadcasting. And I did.
0: Did they oh. ask you to draw on a 4-4-2 and what a high press would look like? <laughs> or were they putting you to the chalkboard? Or? They, they
1: asked me where the Libero would totally. go in a, in a Christmas tree in a, di- <laughs> a pearl formation. Nice. But they, um, th- those two weeks, I always tell people, were probably the, the two best weeks of my life combined. Because in 94, when I, I had tickets to all the games, I actually, the tickets had a hologram with my name printed on them. I actually got a safety deposit box to put them in. The only time in my life I had a safety deposit box. But I would go to Stanford every day. There was a giant, massive tent next to the stadium. And I worked in the media center. And I was with my ilk. Back then in 94, soccer wasn't as prevalent. So I was with all these soccer nerds like myself. And then... I met Rivalino. I met David Pleat. I met all these people who I had seen over the years. Terry Venables, they came through. I met Joao Havalanche, who was the president of FIFA at that time. There was a strike with Cameroon and their FA, so I actually held back Francois Omenbeek and Roger Mila from the press. It was the best wow. two oh, best two weeks of my life, and that hooked a lot of Americans, that 94 World Cup, who hadn't been exposed before because the USA got to the second round. I was there 4th of July. They lost one nothing to Brazil at Stanford. But uh, that was an amazing tournament, and that momentum had carried on until this last World Cup when it came to a screeching halt.
0: Man, more thoughts on the U.S. men's national team in moments. This is Dan Dibley and Rick Tittle, Golazo Supremo, the premier episode, and congratulations if you have found it. You can say you are a day one listener of what will certainly be a spectacular podcast. That World Cup, this past World Cup, when the United States was unable to get by either or either, depending which way you go, Trinidad, and or Tobago, where does that rank among not necessarily all U.S. soccer disasters of all time, but maybe, I don't know, all U.S. soccer disasters of all time?
1: It was by far the biggest disaster of all time. CONCACAF is full of minnows. It's Mexico and the United States, and that's it. If you cannot fa- qualify at a CONCACAF... I thought you are going
0: Gilligan's Island on me you, for a minute there. It's a three-hour tour. <laughs>
1: But yeah, there's there's no excuses for it, and it caused a disruption. Unfortunately, the president of, of uh, the um, USSF, Sunil Gulati, left. His underling came in, a guy who said he never even watched soccer game until he was fifty. Wow. I I was actually on the Eric Wynalda bandwagon. He was on my syndicated show four times, pushing his presidency. I think he got two percent of the vote. I'm so far off. These rich guys just elect. It's like the college, uh, the uh, college electoral college. You know, it's to keep right. farmers from right. electing presidents. So. Um, that to me is the biggest disaster. Of, I had Omar Gonzalez on my show. He was a stand-up guy. He, you know, they talked about how horrifying it was. And I can tell you what, I decided that I was not going to let that ruin my World Cup. I still had the teams that I rooted for. Remember, the United States missed out on 40 years of the World Cup from 50 to 90. So I rooted for my heritage, Germany, Denmark, and England. So I rooted for those teams. They were all in the World Cup. I wasn't going to let it ruin it. But I can tell you that for a full year, every email I get, from the United States Soccer Federation, and I get like three a day for yeah, whatever, yeah. I would delete them instantly. For a full year, I didn't want to hear or see from them. I was so upset.
0: That's that's understandable, though, because of the way that played out. That, mm. uh, Like you say, y'all, you only have to be top four out of six to even have a chance. The fourth place playoff is not a sham, but it's usually a fairly easy home-and-home. Home. CONCACAF most often gets in, so for them to finish fifth was truly a debacle. Well, we look at the negative, and then we turn our attention to what is in the news, and that is Christian Pulisic as he signs a record-setting transfer fee. He's not yet off to the English Premier League, but how big is this for United States soccer to have this player in particular, the future, the young star, a legitimate world player, for him to get this kind of fee and to go to that kind of team?
1: Well, it's fantastic for him, and I'm sorry he had to miss out on a World Cup cycle being as good as he is $74 $74 million when you do the translations uh, from Euros. Unfortunately, I do think it's a bit of a one-off, to tell you the truth. He has a Croatian passport, so he didn't have to go through the whole system of uh, getting a work permit. But the days of uh, uh, John O'Brien going to the IAC school and Jovan Krovski going to the Man United school, um, those days aren't as prevalent as they once were. The one thing that kills United States soccer, unfortunately, is college soccer. And if you're a kid, why wouldn't you want a full ride to UCLA or Ohio State or Notre Dame? That's a dream. Well, it's not a dream for U.S. soccer. It's a dream to get you overseas. Now, every once in a while, there'll be a one-off like Clint Dempsey goes to an American college, plays in the MLS, gets discovered. The thing that we need to do if we really want something great for the United States is to get our kids overseas when they're 12 years old. I don't know how many American parents want to send their kid overseas when they're 12 years old, but you look like a guy like, You know, Lionel Messi, who went to La Masia in Barcelona when he's a a child, and they sent him growing pills to make sure he was going to be okay. That's when you have to actually learn. So on the one hand, Pulisic is the best prospect in the history of the United States. There's no doubt about it. He'll stay at at, uh, Dortmund. In fact, they're going to be playing, BVB is going to be playing Tottenham here coming up in the Champions League. But he's going to stay there the rest of the year. I do think it's a little bit of a a Um, one-off. To me, it doesn't mean there's a new stampede of Americans coming, Um, but I, I am hopeful because it is cool to see such a high price paid for a kid from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Is there a way in
0: the United States that we can develop a national academy system to where college players, while they can still play for their university, because I think that's important, make it like it is in youth soccer where you've got a kid, and I know a kid over in Oakland, a friend of my son who plays for the Olympic development program, but he also has an opportunity to play for his high school if he so desires. When you get to college, though, it doesn't seem like that same structure is there. Like the U nineteen team, it doesn't feel like those kids are in college or play for college. How can they make it so that both masters are served?
1: That's a great question. And thank you. Ray. When uh, Tab Ramos was—that's uh, a John Paul Morosi answer, by the way. Everything's a great question. No, that's a
0: great question, Dan. Yeah,
1: I love that. Um, when Tab almost was in charge of the youth system, I thought he did a pretty good job of it. Um, the question is, and, and it's funny because I brought this up and I can name drop a lot of guys, but I brought this up with, with past players, of the United States national team, and they all assure me that the MLS is coming up with great academies and the MLS is on the rise. i personally feel the MLS expanded too fast. Um, there are teams that I forget are actually in the MLS. When I hear their name, I'm like, Oh yeah, is that team coming up? No, no, they're in the league. Oh, they are. So, <laughs> I you know probably shouldn't admit that, but the, the MLS has expanded so fast and now Beckham's going to get another team as well. I think that does water down the talent in a league that was already a little watered down. We'll get to that another day. But um, it, they say that their academies are getting better and I'm sure that they are getting better and they are getting proper coaching. But there's a reason why you want to send that kid overseas to be a YTS, a youth team scout, or go to a school of excellence. I do like the fact, though, that the national team needs a better setup. Uh, Greg Burhalter, who I, it's funny, I talked to a couple weeks before he got the job as head coach. I didn't even think he knew that it, that it was coming at the time. Uh, we'll see how that works, but I think it's it's good to have a guy who played Um, sometimes in in sports, the guy who played doesn't know X's and O's, but we've had enough of those X's and O's guys, the Bradleys and the Arenas and the Samsons of the world.
0: We need someone in the program, and obviously it's not the Sanul Galati figure, but somebody at the head of the U.S. soccer program who can make these players better.
1: Ernie Stewart is the guy who hired him. And so that's the one good thing about about the United States Soccer Federation is that at least they're letting Ernie Stewart kind of be the GM.
0: And so if he's the one who can coach these guys up and get a construct to where players get better, that ultimately is prong number one. Prong number two is getting more of our supreme athletes to choose soccer. And I think you're seeing a more athletic U.S. team. I was watching some of the friendlies a couple months ago. It seems like it's a more athletic side. Obviously not as experienced as some of the past editions, but we'll see how that goes as we proceed. It's Dan Dibley and Rick Tittle, Galasso Supremo. I do want to get into some of the current action around Europe as we get to the halfway and all the big leagues. January transfer window is opening some big signings. It seems that Chelsea's going to move off of Marata, and the question is whether or not Gonzalo Higuain will come in. Right now, Chelsea's sitting fourth, but atop the table, Liverpool by four points over Man City. Two-pronged for you, Rick. I want to get your thoughts on mm. the title race so far and just how good that Liverpool-Man City game was, possibly match of the year.
1: Well, this is why this is why I love the game because you can get a match of the year almost every week. Like my team, Tottenham, is is right now in four competitions. They're in the Prem and they're in three cups. Of course, England is the only country with two domestic cups. But there's a match. There's two matches a week, and it's fantastic. I always hated it. It, it normally Tottenham would be out of both cups before Christmas. And then I would just realize right, that. Right, right. And change. I've got questions for you on the mm-hmm. Caribou Cup. Is
0: it Caribou or Carabao? Carabao Cup. Carabao
1: I, is a like a, a Taiwanese energy drink. It's. Gotcha. It, it, it has, looks like
0: caribou, like the animal, right? Like a, an elk, an elk or a deer,
1: or deer or an elk, right? I'm. I'm down on that
0: cup, but I, I got a couple
1: questions <laughs> it's for you the lead, on I just call it the League Cup. It changes sponsors all the time. It was Coca-Cola. It was rumble gotcha. It was Milk Cup. It, it changes sponsors.
0: But it's different, though, than the FA Cup, which is all teams across the entire kingdom.
1: The FA Cup, like the the third round of the FA Cup is actually the ninth round because you, they take non-league teams. Gotcha. In fact, the first non-league team to win the FA Cup was Tottenham Hotspur because when the Woolwich Arsenal moved, sorry, to North London. Careful,
0: we'll edit that out.
1: Herbert Chapman made sure that Arson, that they kicked Tottenham out of the league and they had to earn their way back in. These are the things that go back to the 1800s that still stick in uh, Tottenham's craw.
0: Yes, I can imagine why.
1: Yes, but as you were saying uh, you get these matchups of the year, and uh, Liverpool, to me, is is the real deal, which makes the blue side of Stanley Park pretty mad. But uh, the title race, I think, is, is probably between Man City and Liverpool. Um, I'd like to think Tottenham are in it, and I'd love to see them make a move. But my whole life, I've been disappointed. I'm like the Cubs fan. When it actually happens, it happens. They've only won the league twice in their history, 51 and 61. They've been a cup sides that since then they've been always played a very entertaining brand of soccer over the years. But right now, those are the two teams that are, I think it's a two horse race right now.
0: Liverpool looked so dominant throughout the entirety of the first half, and Man City able to get him on uh, not necessarily a fluky goal, but I, I thought Liverpool knocking on the door. Sane had a couple great opportunities in that one to to take it, but ultimately two one, City prevails and. We in my house were rooting for City because we want this to be a race. Liverpool mm-hmm. wins that. They're up 10 with what well, that would be I think it was 18 left to go yeah. at that point, but Man City able to pull it out and, and keep things close.
1: And in the uh, League Cup semifinal first legs, we saw the, the Derby match Tottenham Chelsea, Tottenham 1 nothing, a Harry Kane, pen- Kane penalty. But then uh, yesterday <laughs> we had Burton Albion against Man City. They lost 9 0. And kudos to Burton Albion for getting to the Final Four. That's absolutely amazing. But my favorite thing, there was a tweet I saw that at 7-0, they were put, making a sub, and the guy has the tablet out at Man City, and he's going, okay, here, 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 do this, this, or this. And it said, "Oi mate, we're up 7-0. What could you possibly be showing me on <laughs> that tablet right now? Yeah.
0: And it uh, ultimately <laughs> turned out to be 9 nothing, and that's yes. what I was going to ask is about your thoughts on them, quote, running up the score because... Burton Albion plays in what division? Are they third division? Yeah, you
1: can't tell. Uh Are they a third division team or Well, you know what? I have to I have to check. I don't know where Burton Albion is right now. If you told me they were in the uh Isthmus uh Ryman's League or the Blue Square League or gotcha. they're in the conference. Just think about it. If you're in the National League or a, like being in a league or a conference would be good here, but if you're in the conference there, that means you're non-league. Uh but you you can't tell guys who hardly get to play not to score goals. I mean, you can, but if it's just sitting right in front of their face. So I don't think that they ran up the score. Um, They stroked it around the park, and if there was an opportunity, they're going to go forward. And the thing I like about Man City, too, and you might think that this is wrong, they take every game seriously, and that's one of the reasons they are where they are right now. Burton
0: Albion, by the way, ninth in League One. Okay, so
1: the third division.
0: Yes, essentially the third. It goes uh, Premier League Championship, League I wish one. it was
1: still one, two, three, four. It was a lot easier. Back it's a time.
0: little bit easier to follow. When without they, a doubt. it's funny
1: because when they were starting the Premier League in '93, I didn't know how it was going to work. They were going to take all the money. And I thought, you know, ITV was doing uh, leagues two, three, four at that time. I thought Tottenham will never be on TV. Tottenham avoided relegation second to last day of the season. They were fighting with Chelsea. Chelsea and Tottenham barely avoided relegation. It was actually a Steve Sedgley goal at Portman Road against Ipswich Town the last Thursday. Of the 93 season where I could breathe, Christian Gross, the Swiss coach, fired. They brought back David Plead again. That's the way I used to live, Dan, is trying to avoid the trap door. Then the Premier League started, and I thought, ooh, what's going to happen? It's basically the same thing.
0: Yeah, but without the uh, the threat of relegation. Right, and they took team.
1: out two teams. Now it's just 20.
0: Another one of my uh, favorite moments was uh, not really personally favorite because I I support Swansea in, in the lightest of ways. Kind of a lightweight support, Very as my Welsh. kids would say. I went to Wales in 93 when I took my Europe trip with my buddies, uh, Scott Igo, Ron Ventimiglia. Shout out. Got to shout him out. Scott Igo, by the way, now a vice president with ABC ahead of uh, live music. But that's neither here nor there. Good for him. He's a good dude. So we were in Europe and we went to Swansea because his girlfriend at the time had spent a semester there on loan, so to speak, as (laughs) an exchange student. Sure. So we stayed with her old roommates, had a blast, loved Swansea, that was my town, Well, Swansea gets relegated the same year that Cardiff, their Mm. cross-island rival, located about, you know, more than a stone's throw, maybe 30 or 40 kilometers Mm -hmm. in Wales, they get promoted. So I can imagine being in the town... And being a Swansea supporter and you realize that your nearby neighbor gets up at the same time that you get down.
1: Do you know that the old firm in Glasgow, uh, there was a time when Rangers and Celtic asked to come to the Premier League because it was a two-fish race and they said no. And then when Swansea first came in, they go, wait a minute, how can you let a Welsh team into the English League? And they said, shut up, mind your own business. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the way that one goes.
0: We do what we want. It's Rick Tittle. Dan Dibley, it's Golasso Supremo. Glad you're with us. I want to talk to you a little bit about La Liga. Mm -hmm. And you look at the table and you see Barca at the top. Okay, makes sense. Still an unbelievable side. Atleti, always there, pesky and hard to play against. Mm -hmm. But you got to do some kind of scrolling to get down to Real Madrid. What's the deal with Real Madrid? (laughs)
1: You know what? The, the thing about Real a Decent Ma- Jerry right there. That is, that's not too bad about that. What's the deal? That's totally. <laughs> about all I have, by when, the way. Uh, there's always a team in, in Spain that... I mean, it, we, we sort of expect to see Real Madrid and Barcelona at the top of the table every time. But that's the thing that I love about the Spanish League is that every year there's some team that you might have not heard of unless you're a huge fan in Spain that makes a rise up. Uh, they've gone through some... Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo leaving. Their their manager Zizou leaves. The guy they brought in who left the Spanish national team right before the World Cup, he's already out. It's a weird setup they have in Spain too, where they elect their presidents, and it's it's so political. It's almost like electing a government, right. to, to run your team. More
0: intense than when they have government elections, right? For and sure. so,
1: what they're talking about right now is, well, I think what we'll do is we'll just buy Christian Eriksen from Tottenham, like we bought Luka Modric, like we bought Gareth Bale from Tottenham. Like, you know, we'll just do that. Tottenham have slapped, by the way, a 225 million euro price tag on Christian Eriksson if they even want to approach.
0: 225 and he's not even playing that much for uh, Tottenham. Well, no, he is. He's been used sparingly. I had him on my fantasy team a few Eric- months ago and he was he was riding some puns. He
1: leads the league in assists. Uh, he has exactly five, uh, 100 goals that he's been responsible for, for assists, and no one has more assists in the league since he's come into the league five years ago. Um He was the hero for the Danish national team, as we know. But the thing about uh, Tottenham is that they don't want to be a feeder team, and they don't want to be the Kansas City A's anymore. Right. They want people to stay. It's like when Michael Carrick said, I want to go to Man United, and Dimitar Berbatov said, I want to go to Man United. What can you do? So they hope that they're past that because Harry Kane hasn't said that yet, and (laughs) they're hoping that uh, Erickson doesn't say that. There's always that lure to be a Galactico, and I don't, I don't disparage against a guy who's told, hey, you can play and start and be the man for Real Madrid. That is a hard thing to resist. Impossible. Yeah, and hopefully the relationship that Mauricio Pocatino has with the team and knowing they're getting the new stadium sometime in the next couple of weeks that that Erickson would would like to stay. And
0: they do have some stability at the back with Alderweireld and Vertonghen and uh, Trippier has been an unbelievable addition. So I think Tottenham is in a... uh, Great spot. I do want to run down some of the fixtures for this week yes. in the Prem, but first, yes. Juventus. Again, dominant in Serie A. I don't believe they've lost 17 wins and two draws. They're going to win the league, but can they make noise in the Champions League? And we'll do a full Champions League breakdown of the next round. I believe it's early February, mm-hmm. so maybe in a couple of weeks on Golazo Supremo or Supremo. We'll get in there and uh, we'll break it down, but... Ronaldo and Juve, can they make noise in the Champions League?
1: Uh, of course they can. And it's amazing what, how Juventus has come back. Of course, it's funny. Juventus, they are the youngsters. Juventus needs to play in La Vecchia Signore, the Estadio delle Alpe, which is the old lady. So the kids played at the old lady. Well, I always love playing that. at grandma's
0: house. Yes, That's basically what that is.
1: And Juventus's uniforms, which are formed off of some people think Newcastle. No, it's Knotts County. They wore old Knotts County kits. This is why they wear the like Don you know,
0: Knotts or yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Barney Five. So uh, or would you go more uh, Three's Company there?
0: I would go uh, Andy Griffith.
1: I'm yeah. that old. Right, let's do that. Yes. Shout out old guys. Uh, yeah, when any team that has Ronaldo is going to do something. And I give them credit, though. I mean, they were kicked out of the league. They had to earn their way back in, and they've had their max fit. You think about Paulo Rossi, who was kicked out of soccer, and they reinstate him to play in the 82 World Cup, and he leads the World Cup in a scoring. gets the, uh, the golden boot. But, yeah, of course they can make some noise. By the way, Dan, I'll just throw this in. I know I'm talking a lot about Tottenham, and I probably will on the show. Uh, a couple weeks That'll ago. That'll
0: all be edited out with our uh, Tottenham <laughs> filter.
1: But speaking of the Champions League, the their last game uh, that they had to at least uh, draw against Barcelona, they were at the new Camp. I was in New York. I, I did a little research. I found out the Tottenham bar was called Flannery's. I saw those pictures. Yeah, it was on East 14th. Great. And it was amazing to be stacked in there with all the Tottenham fans. And then at the end, they played glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur, Chaz and Dave, and we lived to fight another day it was an an amazing time but how yes.
0: would that east 14th <clears throat> compare to our east 14th
1: that stretches through uh, international boulevard the city of Austin,
0: yes <laughs> comparable or slightly different
1: uh you know what it's kind of comparable east 14th in in uh, new york city not the greatest neighborhood nice. i have to say yeah the most the, i heard sirens and ambulances the whole time i was in there
0: couple more minutes here Golasso supremo rick tittle and dan dibley we are at week 22 match day 22 in the premier league and just looking at the slate, not too many massive, massive tilts until you get to your game. Sunday, yeah. Spurs hosting Manchester United. Man U playing much better since the, quote, chosen one. Mm-hmm. Jose Mourinho was finally shown the door. Paul Pogba has decided that he's interested again in the beautiful game. How do you size this one up? It's pretty much a must-win for, for Tottenham if they want to stay in this title race.
1: Every week is. And even though Tottenham, I think, have won like five out of the last six Premier League games, you you drop one and the, the, the team ahead of you, the pace setter, doesn't miss a beat uh, with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. It is a must win. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's amazing to me. He was always a babyface assassin. Now that he's the manager and the reins have been uh, taken off, so to speak and everyone's playing a lot better. We'll see how long that honeymoon lasts. That's kind of a natural thing you and I have seen in sports, in every sport. The new guy comes in, and, oh, it's all much better. We'll see what happens Players
0: play harder, certainly. Yeah, renewed life, et cetera. It's like,
1: oh, I don't have that guy on my butt now. I can do what I want. The the thing that amazes me about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that he has gray hair, and he's old. What is he, like 38? Yeah. It's it's amazing to me. But um, I I don't know what his uh, his whole... um, bag is yet. I haven't sussed out what kind of manager he is. I don't know if he's a player's player. I don't know if he cracks the whip. It's just too early for me. Uh, but uh, for Tottenham, um, you think about, you mentioned Alderweireld. He, yeah. he hardly played at all last year. He was, I don't know why, he got doghouse. They picked up his option on next year. He's fantastic. He was one of the best defenders in the World Cup for Belgium. For it's still a little banged up, so it'll probably be Davins and Sanchez in the middle. I hope they have uh, Davis out on the left and not Danny Rose, who I can't stand. Trippier on the, right, on the right as well. But, I mean, Harry Kane is one of the best strikers in the world. You've got Young Ming Son. This is his last game. Love be- Son. Last game before he goes to the Asian Cup, unfortunately. And the bad thing is, is that Lucas Moore is hurt. That's the guy that would take his place. So Tottenham, they didn't do any business in the transfer window. They were the only team in the top five leagues in Europe that didn't buy one player in the summer. And they're still in all four cups. And they're third in the league. So... Hopefully they can keep it going. I would like to see some reinforcements come in this month. Though.
0: Yeah, continuity, though, paying off. And I think Saan has been terrific uh, in longer stints this year than normal. And Erickson, as you mentioned, leading the Premier League in assists. Aside from that fixture, not too many that, that pop. Liverpool, your leaders, are at Brighton. Mm-hmm. That is the uh, going to be the morning game, I'm sure, on NBC Sports Network. You've got Cardiff and Huddersfield, which is interesting couple of teams hovering toward the bottom of the table. Chelsea is hosting Newcastle in the quote late game on Saturday and then Monday action, Man City hosting a, a pretty impressive Wolves team that's been playing very well of late. Rick Tittle,
1: this has been fun. It's been fun and uh it, to me it's it's you know you and I do this for a living. Yep. And I hardly ever just is- just get to sit back and talk soccer with somebody else who loves soccer. So I had a blast.
0: Yes, more to come. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Next week, uh, we'll try to make this thing drop every Friday. We'll look at the fixtures coming up. We'll kick it around with the Champions League about a month away. And before you know it, we'll have some World Cup qualifiers to kick around as well. Golazo Supremo, people. Remember, put the ball out wide, send it in the box, and be dangerous in the final third. This was a production of the 95.7 The Game Podcast
1: Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe.